Hey everyone. Very good. This is Annika in Columbia. And Maria in Happy Valley. And we are here to talk about Bellingham, the city of subdued whatever we decide to talk about. We want to get to know you, Bellingham. Both the well-known. And not so well-known. So we are joined today, as always, by our quarantine co-hosts, Burrito, Romy, and Tilly are so excited to celebrate with us our very last episode of Season 1 of the City of Subdued Podcast, Social Distancing Edition. Yes. You know, they don't know how far they've come as co-hosts, but we recognize all the great things that they've helped us with these last six months, really, of working on it. I don't think Tilly even knows that she is a co-host. Oh, Tilly's so dumb. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) She has other strong suits, but... So, because this is the very last episode of season one, and don't worry, loyal listeners, a season two will be coming in the foreseeable future. We're already working on it. Annika and I wanted to just share some thoughts and reflections about our time creating this product, which we're so happy, you know, more than two or three people listen to. Yeah, (laughs) I would say even a lot more than just two or three. Dozens of you. Dozens. Maybe even more than a hundred. It's very possible. Yeah. No, I think, I mean, at this point we have, I would say close to in the 2000 download ballpark, which I think is pretty cool. That's more than I ever expected Mm -hmm. when we first started. So Annika, do you have a, a special podcast memory or a special podcast thought that you want to (laughs) discuss? Um, can you go first? Oh yeah. I just want to say I am so proud of Annika and I for really going through with this. Lots of speed bumps, but lots of really cool discoveries. And we, we've we really acquired some cool skills, I think, over the mm-hmm. uh, the last few months. And it's a real hobby. Like, I'm not somebody with a ton of hobbies. Like, I'm not very outdoorsy. And, you know, I'm more of like a scroll the internet and get drinks with friends kind of hobby person. But this is like a real-ass hobby. It's very mm-hmm. nice to have one. Um, and you know the real treasures are the friends we've made along the way it's been so nice meeting all of these amazing locals who share their stories with us and who are just genuinely so excited to talk and we really feel like we've met so many amazing people that we'd love to continue hanging out with outside of the radio space yeah oh so many it's really cool yeah, I definitely agree. I feel like we've learned some skills and and made some really cool connections, and I'm excited to see what happens in the future, and I'm really excited, hopefully, about season two. Listeners, we're hoping that you can expect season two to show up in your feeds maybe mid-September. Annika, does that sound reasonable to you? I think mid to late September. Mid to late September. Fall. The first day of fall is like September 21st. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be an autumn podcast for autumn feelings. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, with that, Annika, is there anything else we want to say before we just get this last interview into the airspace? No, just thank you. Yeah. Thank everyone. you so much. We love you. Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. Today, our guest is Josh Holland. Holland, like the country. 
Josh is a local well-known musician and also the front of house manager of Bayouan Bay. Josh has toured abroad as a semi-professional musician, making albums with Black Eyes and Neckties, Dog Shredder, Wild Throne, and Hiro the Hero. And Josh has had a few shout outs on our show, both due to his musical accomplishments and also the way that you manage one of our favorite downtown establishments of Bayouan Bay. And so we knew that we had to have you on. Oh, it's good to be here. Thank you. No, we're super happy to have you too. How's it been going, Josh? It's been good since I met you for the first time on the Bayou Outdoor Patio a couple weeks ago. Um, it's just been steady <laughs> as it goes out there. You know, we have that big corner on the corner of Holly and Bay. So we have all, we're so lucky to have all that space during the shutdown to take advantage of the weather and keep the tables, you know, distant. And, you know, it's safe and inviting and it's it's working out for us. And, you know, I just I couldn't be happier with how it's working out. You know, absolutely. Even before we had all of these outdoor requirements, Bayou was one of my favorite places to eat outside because it's one of the the only spots in town that you can view the bay for some reason. Mm-hmm. You've got that nice little, if you're in the corner, that nice straight shot right to kind of where the old mill and everything was. Yeah, it wasn't like that before. I don't know how long you guys have been in town, but you know, there used to be uh, this massive uh, paper plant down there, the GP mill. I don't know if you watched them kind of slowly tear that down over the last 10 years. Yeah. But just a couple of years ago, you know, the the big uh, digester things, they were like those big rusty rocket ships down there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they used to be covered up by a big building. You couldn't see the bay until the last few years. So that's great. And there's great sun coverage on that corner. Yeah, you can't beat it. I love it there. Get some popcorn shrimp and a beer and you're good to go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we got it all. So since this is a Bellingham podcast, what brought you to Bellingham? I came to Bellingham in 2002 in August. So this is my 18-year anniversary. Wow. Congratulations. It's so good to be here. Congratulations. Um, yeah, I do. I do love it here. What What brought me here? Well, I grew up in a suburb of Seattle called Bellevue. Pro- most people probably know of. And I uh, had great friends there. Not a lot of uh, musical peers. Like I was really driven. I wanted to be in a band. I played um, guitar. And um, there was a couple kids older than me that I was friends with. They took me under their wing in high school and introduced me to the local Seattle scene, introduced me to all of, you know, what would become my favorite bands. And once I got into the Seattle scene, I was so impressed by it, but it's just, I was also kind of intimidated by it. It just seemed so impenetrable. Those kids that were older than me ended up moving to Bellingham to go to college. And so I kept in touch with them and I'd visit and I liked Bellingham. And they said, you know, that there's a great music scene here. And, you know, we know some drummers and we know some people you know, let's start a band up here. And I said, cool, get me out of Bellevue. I, I didn't see a future of me being a musician there. Yeah, I didn't really like Bellevue. I loved my friends. But you know, I was eager to get out of my parents house, like most people are at that age, just jumping at the first opportunity. And my girlfriend at the time was gonna move there to go to Western. So I was just like, I'm, I'm gonna pack up my red mom van that my parents gave me like 80s Astro van. And I just moved to Bellingham, because they were just fresh out of the dorms getting a house. So it was me and like four other people. And uh, I just fell in love with it. I just I found the music scene here to be so inviting and vibrant and I found my little niche in it. Yeah, I found what I was looking for here. So after 18 years, we're hoping that you have a good Bellingham story and that's something amusing or funny that has a person, place, or thing that other locals would recognize. Good Bellingham stories. I don't know. There's just been so many. I just there's been a lot of wild stuff that's happened to me here. We want to hear about it. The wilder, the better. (laughs) Yeah, I just... uh, I don't know how interesting anyone else will find these stories, but some of my favorite stories of, of things that have happened to me in Bellingham, like, you know, the um, tiki bar over there, Red Rum? Yes. So before it was Red Rum, it was a couple of other things. And before it was a couple of other things, it was this restaurant called Cherubins. 
I don't know if you guys were around for that. Yeah, I think when I moved here, it was Stone Pot Korean. Yep. So it was the Korean place after it was, uh, it was like a bistro for a while. And before that, it was this restaurant called Cheerbins. And it, this was like a spinoff of Deanna's, uh, opened by Michael Deanna. You, do you know Michael Deanna or heard about him? Is it like the same Deanna's as the Italian mm-hmm. place on state? Yeah. Okay. So Deanna's is owned by this guy, Michael Deanna. Uh, he employs a lot of Bellingham musicians. He's just been a big supporter. Everybody loves him. And I don't I don't know him, but I just know his lore. And so he opened this place called Cheerbins. And at the time, we had lost a couple of music venues in a row. So people were kind of looking for a new home. So all the musicians in, in that restaurant, they kind of convinced him to start doing shows there. So the shows were really popular because everybody wanted to go to shows and there was nowhere they liked to go. So that's where all the cool punk bands and rock bands would play. And my bands would play there. And they built a stage. And it just became less of a restaurant that was Michael's vision and more of like this punk venue dive bar that the musicians envisioned and they would sell like 40s there you could get like <laughs> they would sell 40s on ice and so everybody in the crowd was drinking 40s at these shows and just getting hammered and then eventually I think he got tired of that and he closed it down I don't know there's probably some other factors too and I was such a shithead so behind the stage was this mural and it wasn't meant for a stage it was meant to be the restaurant and it turned into the backdrop of the stage this gigantic parrot thing like a chicken or something and it was like singing this song and it was like just this cheesy mural and all the little scenester people we all made fun of it because it just was so cheesy but it's like whatever it's not doing any harm and then they did the last show at Cherubins and my band was headlining and I was like I'm gonna put my guitar through that fucking chicken's face at the end of the set and so it was all sold out it wasn't a bit very big well you know how big it is you've been inside Red Room it looks very different yes. now but it was packed and we were going off and then it was last show and I took my guitar off and I started smashing my guitar into the chicken in space through the wall and everybody was just like look yeah everything (laughs) and everyone's going crazy we were kind of a nutty band this is my band black eyes and neckties i remember at the end i was just like that's so badass i smashed a guitar and i that chicken everyone's gonna think i'm so cool so then we like all left our gear there or something or no no we packed up and then somebody called me the next day and they're like dude michael deanna is really mad at you understandably so and i didn't even consider that i was like i'm so inconsiderate at the time i felt so bad and i just i knew i knew of him you know i just so I was already kind of intimidated, like, oh, no, I got to go see this famous Bellingham person that really hates me now. I don't even know him. And so I walked in there. They're like, you need to go talk to him and apologize. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to apologize. And I'm going to offer to, like, fix the whole thing for him and patch it all up. And I walk in there, and this guy is just glaring at me. And I just feel so dumb. And I feel so bad. I, th- I think I felt bad. I, th- I don't think I was faking it. Like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And he just looked at me like I was nothing. And I was like, can I fix this for you and make it right? And he just looked at me. He's just like, just get out of here. <laughs> he didn't want anything oh. to do with me. Like, it was almost worse. Oh, that sucks. It was, it was like worse than, than him saying like, you know, I don't accept your apology or anything like, or making me work it off. Or like, he just like, he just looked right through me. Just like, you're worthless. Get the hell out of my sight. <laughs> And so I felt pretty defeated about that. So that was my interaction with Michael Deanna crushing the face of his chicken with my guitar, thinking I was so hip. <laughs> yeah, I hope it's resting in peace. <laughs> well, you could still see the patchwork for years after it. I would go in there and they didn't patch it up like super pro. I think they just did it punk style because, you know, all of his employees are like metal kids. So I would always look at that. And I always thought that was a funny story to tell, especially people that were there. So, I mean, you've been involved in the Bellingham community for a really, really long time. And I'm sure you've noticed the changes that have been going on downtown and other places in our community for a long time. We've spoken to a couple people 
people from the Downtown Bellingham Partnership. You know, their goal is to make downtown this beautiful, wonderful place that everybody wants to hang out. And so I was wondering if you could speak to some of the ways that Bellingham and Downtown Bellingham in particular has changed over the years. There seems to be a lot more like nice, clean restaurants and like fewer like divey bar holes. I don't want to say the word gentrified really, but downtown has definitely like grown up. Uh, maybe just as my, because I've grown up in it. When I came to Bellingham, there was a bunch of grimy bars on State Street that would throw shows and people would throw beer and just trash the place and, you know, old man day drinkers all day, every day. And there's a lot less of that, which I actually thought was really fun. Like, uh, oh my God, the seediest bar in town was um, on Railroad where the burger place is Fiamma Burger. Mm-hmm. That used to be the gnarliest old man dive bar you've ever seen oh yeah oh yeah you, like you go in there you thought you were gonna fall in through the floor it was rotten with beer it was it was really something so there's a lot mm. less of that the stuff that the partnership has done is, has been pretty impressive most of it, i saw you interviewed my friend Lindsay payne johnstone um you know she's really taken the lead with the downtown sounds thing it started in the alley at the buffalo and eventually just took over that like two massive or almost three blocks of downtown right in front of bayou there you know i've always you know there was nothing like that when i was first in bellingham so it's less of a little secret gem than when I first found it. And it's more of a known quantity in the Pacific Northwest. Very pleasant places to live. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How long have you, you guys been in town? I've lived here eight years now. Oh, okay. That's no that's no small stretch. Yeah. And I've lived here six. Okay, yeah. Six years. Yeah, so you've seen changes yourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Especially in the last, like, maybe three or four years. Mm-hmm. Um, it really seems like it's booming or blossoming yeah it really feels that way you know and then the other side of that coin is that i've i've noticed the homeless situation has gotten worse over time yeah there's Mm -hmm. that too and um you know that's a tough that's a tough issue to tackle yeah i am i am glad that that is not in my job description to To tackle that issue because that's very complicated and so yeah. yeah it's it's always changing the music scene has definitely changed. Uh, it used to be, there used to be more venues, more bands. You know, when I got here, I was like, wow, there's like, all, I know, I know people in bands now that they, they want to like tour. They want to like make it. They want to like work hard. I always wanted that and just didn't find that in Bellevue where I came from. So I was surrounded by positive influences and like, um, almost like a, you know, competition. Like, well, they are going to go on tour. Like we're going to go on a better tour. Or they made an album everybody likes. It's like, well, we're going to make an album even more people like, you know? And it was really fun that way. And now there isn't really a music industry infrastructure to support that. I mean, I don't know. It seems like a, a fleeting thing. And now more back then it was like an, an institution. Does that make sense? Yeah. So what's something about the Bellingham music scene that maybe people that are not inside of the music scene, what you think they would want to know about it? What I always told people and why I always thought Bellingham was so magical is that, you know, I would go around and tour with bands and I just didn't see anything like what we had here, even, you know, even though I was just there for a day or two. But the thing that I was always amazed at Bellingham, I think this is still true, maybe not as much, but I'm also kind of removed to the music scene. So I'm not as connected as I used to be, but I was always blown away. And I would always tell people that per capita, how many people are in this small town, how many talented musicians there actually were, how many successful bands. It didn't make any sense because there wasn't hardly anybody lived here. And there was like all of these great bands that were making it. Um, and there was so many talented musicians. Another thing about the music scene I think is so impressive is there's this town is pretty small. There's been three, three, four, well, three three or four, depending on how you count it, four bands that have been signed to major labels from this town. It's really hard to get signed to a major label. And, you know, you got Death Cab for Cutie, if you want to, I mean, if you want to count them as a Bellingham band, 
you've got the Posies, Idiot Pilot, and then um, my band uh, got signed to a major label. And there's about 10 years in between each of those, but it's, it's still like it just consistently produces talented, you know, just so many talented musicians that can that can thrive here. I wonder if it's something in the water. Something in the bay. The water makes good beer and it makes good musicians. Yeah, well, that's another thing about Bellingham, you know, on more of the restaurant bar side is that there's, there for years and years, there's just one brewery. I remember when there was a second brewery with Chuck and it was the second brewery and everyone was like, whoa, there's going to be two breweries in this town? That's crazy. I know. I know there's like 16. I know. It's like, there's where can so we many, another yeah, one? <laughs> so something in the beer or whatever, something in the bay. So can you tell us a little bit about the process of your band getting on a major label? Yeah, it was um, it was really a trip. What happened was, you know, I was trying to make it with my band at the time, Dog Shredder. We were trying to, whatever make it means, we were just looking for success. We just wanted, whatever that means. We wanted to tour. We wanted to be, you know, on the internet. We wanted fans. We wanted people at our shows outside of Bellingham. I think that's what we, our idea of a success was. And then when I, we were working on that and we were making albums and we were pretty popular in Bellingham, but not really outside. And then um, I got called up by this rapper, Howard the Hero, and he was like, hey, his manager called me and he said, our guitar player just had a brain aneurysm and we're on, we're in England on tour with the Wu-Tang Clan right now. And uh, one of the guys in the band is from Bellingham and they were like, does anybody know anyone that could fly in and just fill in the rest of this tour with the Wu-Tang Clan? And he's like, I think I might know someone. So they called me. I think they just vetted me on Facebook to make sure, I, I don't know, whatever they saw that I was in bands that I could be on stage or whatever and then I learned all the songs overnight and then I went and finished that tour and then they told me hey by the end of this tour we're firing the bass player can you play bass and I was like no and then, and then my friend was and then my friend went a few later he's like dude you need to say you need to say yes <laughs> and then I was like I went back to him I was like oh you know actually yeah I could totally play the bass and they were like okay good enough you're in so then I was for two years I was in this rap band High Road the Hero and I got to go like and we would tour like only in a bus and like we would go we went to Australia we'd go to Japan all over the United States back to England multiple times and that lasted about two years you know he had a lot of funding behind him but he wasn't signed he was he was at next level and so all the guys were in LA except me and was like and they thought I was just kind of this farm kid from Bellingham like my experiences <laughs> working in LA in the music industry it's like every every time I tell people I'm from Bellingham Washington they just don't they think that is like a farm town that to them so anyway so that the connections I made working for the rapper when that fizzled out, I kind of sent the Dog Shredder demos to their producer that did his album. He was a big, I was a big fan of his of some of the records he made in the '90s, and uh, he called me and he said, "Do you want to work with me?" And I said, "Yeah," but he's like famous. He uh, his name's Ross Robinson. He did like Corn and Limp Bizkit, but he also did a lot of really good albums mm -hmm. after that. And so he hooked us up with a manager, and then um, we toured. We got pretty good, and then we caught the attention of. Roadrunner, which is a subsidiary of Atlantic Records. And so we got the money. Oh, no, we made a demo first with Ross. So we flew down to LA. We were super intimidated. He lives in this like mansion on the Venice Beach and his studio is all in there. And we stayed there. It was just the craziest experience. But the demos were good enough that they got the attention of the labels. And so we were about to sign with a smaller label. And then they just swooped in. We were in New York. They did the whole wine and dine thing that you hear about, like out for dinner and drinks and flattery. And it's like, okay, is this real? And then they signed us. And they gave us... Um, massive budget to go back to Ross in Venice. And we spent a total of three months down there doing the record. We changed our name in the process. And then um, we put it out. We did a bunch of touring. I mean, the album completely flopped. It like, if you ever want to check it out, it's Wild Throne. It's called Harvest of Darkness. And it's just a batshit record. It's has it's just way too crazy to be on a major label and certainly like way too crazy for the money they gave us. But they really believed in us. They just, they saw so much potential and then, you know, uh, so I'm surprised that we got signed, but I still like, it's quite an 
achievement. So we, yeah, we never got greenlit for a second album. We got dropped because I think we just sold so poorly. We were just, we had no, we had no network or infrastructure outside of Bellingham. We just toured and toured and toured, but it's at that kind of tapering off of the music industry where there's just, it's just not what it was. So that was, that's the kind of the short version of that story. Well, it's still something to absolutely be proud of. Oh, absolutely. I'm so proud of the album. Like, Would you ever consider doing a reunion? Have you guys ever talked about it? No, we've never talked about it. We were so burnt out by the end. We, I mean, we really fell apart. Our bass player, throughout the rise of the band at that time, our bass player had gotten married, bought a house, and had a kid. And so it, when he had the kid and the band wasn't really taking off, he had kind of had it. And I, I understand. So we lost a bass player. We had lost our record deal. We were making demos for a second record that were just turning out horribly. We were just miserable with it. Or I'll, I'll speak for myself. I was miserable with it. So we just kind of let it go. And we're all still really good friends. But we've never talked about playing again because we were just so we were so burnt. And it was only four years ago we broke up. So, I mean, I don't know. Maybe one day everybody's still in town. You know, like Noah, the drummer. I got him the kitchen manager manager job at Bayou. So I still see him every day. And then uh, he and his fiance, Amy, they uh, watch uh, Jeff, bass player's kid, all the time, babysits. So we're all still family. You mentioned that you've been working on making some music videos with people in town. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So I kind of, um, I played around with video before. I make little goofball videos for bands I was in. And then when we were first taken off with Dog Shredder, our manager was like, you need a video. I'm like, oh, I don't know how to get a video done. We don't have any money. So I just sort of taught myself how to do it with like a GoPro and we had this um we had it's kind of like a live video kind of setting it's we filmed it with like our red lights that we would use on stage and we would like we invited all of our friends down in the basement at makeshift so they would have cameras or we would like find some decent cameras and give them to them and then I miraculously pieced together this video that people actually really liked and probably had something to do with us getting signed and so that gave me a little bit of confidence but I didn't really touch it again because then we had the budget to make the we, the videos we did with Wild Throne on the, on the majors uh, we had budget for them so people would just do them so we'd fly here or there and do the video but I always liked the process and then I just kind of got a wild hair one day and I bought like a real camera like a Sony camera with a couple of lenses started fooling around and then yeah I wanted to get into making music videos so I made a couple more my old band Black Eyes and Neckties the band with the guitar through the chicken head we actually did a couple of reunion shows and we recorded some new music I made music videos for two of those new songs to promote our big reunion show we did at the Buffalo which was amazing and then I kind of started thinking about yeah I'd like to find more video projects but I haven't really touched it since coronavirus has happened I haven't had the motivation or really a lot of outlet or interest from you know, people wanting to do projects. So I kind of put that on ice, but I'd still like to get into it if anybody's listening. I, I love video projects. I like, I'm pretty proud of the job I did. Yeah. Well, I, I hope some people reach out because I certainly would like to see more local video stuff show up. I would love to make your music video for bands that are listening and I'll do it for cheap. Switching gears a little bit to your job as the front of house at Bayou, mm -hmm. what is your favorite part of working at the restaurant? Oh, just I'm, I'm always meeting new people. Your whole job is to make them happy. So they're always, almost always happy. It's really, I that part has really helped me like kind of hone my people skills that and like being in the bands and talking to people every night on tour you know I really get something from that I really it keeps me kind of sharp you know or I, I, I hope it does and I just love the ownership by you so much I'm so loyal I've been there 10 years because when I was coming up with the music stuff I would do what a lot of musicians do is they just come back and you'd, you'd make drinks 10 bar make some cash save up to go on your next tour and so I would I would be gone for two months at a time or longer and I come back I always had a job you know the owner and I always got along he let me do whatever I want he helped me out financially in like wild ways He's just so, so generous. And so, you know, he really took care of me when I was struggling and sleeping in the parking lots and stuff. I mean, I was never homeless. This was tour life. But um, when the music wound down, then I stepped up in the management position. And I've been doing that for three and a half years. And I I love managing people, you know, because uh, 
as much as management is about keeping the customers happy, I have to keep, you know, 25, 30 employees happy. And I really like that part. What is one of your favorite things on the menu? Prana Touffet there is wonderful. Um, We also have the shrimp and grits, which we're famous for. I think, I don't know if anyone else in town does it, but people come there just for that all the time. Uh, Same with our fried chicken sandwich. My significant other is a Southern boy. We always come and get him the the chicken po' boy. Mm -hmm. Yep. Same thing. Yeah. So that, yeah, that's all that stuff is good. I've always, the gumbo is, it's changed a little bit over the years, but it's been pretty much the same. It's always great. I love the gumbo. Like you said, the popcorn shrimp is like the favorite staff snack. We do mean fried food on happy hour. It's really good. Yeah. I think your happy hour is probably like one of the best happy hours in town. Yeah, I hear that a lot. You got such yeah. great food options and like $4 wells are no joke. <laughs> no, they're no, that's a good deal. And we still keep the beers at $4 on happy hour. I don't know. I, I don't drink a lot of beer. I'm not a beer drinker. Um, I like vodka, but beer keeps going up and up and up. And we've managed to kind of keep it, you know, simmering down there at the four happy hour. What What is something about Bayou that you would like people to know? P- I feel like Bayou has a reputation because we have that big corner and we've expanded and we have a reputation. We've been there a long, a long time, you know, that we have a, we have a reputation as being kind of like an establishment restaurant, not, not poorly, but like maybe kind of like a big dog restaurant. Cause we're, you know, people, they always, I always hear people like, Oh, I love Bayou, but it's always so busy and, um, or something like that. And I, which is good, but everybody loves the owner so much. I mean, everybody just, we have such low turnover because I think no small part because the loyalty to the owner because he's just so great. I mean, and he's not over the top, like, you know, like fake nice and everything. He's just a real person who cares about you. His name's Steve Crozier. I love him. Hi, Steve. I have noticed that too, that there is very low turnover by you. Yeah, we keep like, you know, I've been there for 10 years. I'm the longest running employee there. Before me, it was Lindsay Payne Johnstone. Mm -hmm. She was there for 10 years, 10 and bar, almost from the beginning. And, you know, we really fought for that, that success or, I mean, not, but, you know, that popularity. Um, I was there when it was scrappy. I mean, that place is really grown up i i got to watch it kind of form and come into its own as like you know being a very much an underdog that was on the brink of failure very early on to sort of blossom into this place people just love to come consistently and to be in a a space right now where you know i think we're going to survive the coronavirus thing you know we're going to be okay i would love people to understand you know how hard we had to work and how proud i am of watching it kind of blossom into that reputation of being a big big dog or whatever you know establishment bellingham restaurant you know that corner there that the ironic thing about it is that it's it's so huge where that big scepter statue is there yeah that didn't used to be that way that there used to be a street there so you basically there was a sidewalk that turned if you're going down holly there's a sidewalk that turned right there was another road there that was an entire other street and ironically they started that with like the first year that bayou opened up they started tearing it up there and they closed it all it was like you know construction and that went on for i think a year or longer it almost put us out of business because it was so consumed with construction there was like <laughs> drilling and everything you know oh, no. you can imagine and it just went on for a year or two and it almost yeah, I don't like I said, it almost put Steve out of business. And ironically, you know, the, the outdoor patio is so big and we use it right now. We're taking advantage of it so much right now, it's probably gonna save us. You never know how those things will turn around, I guess. Yep, crazy irony. I I'm just you know, I'm so happy you guys are in town. Bayou's a special place for me. It's actually where my boyfriend and I, we've been together like seven and a half years now. We have That's our, great. We have wow. our first date there. And really? so yeah. And so, Was I your server? I you know, I don't remember, but I do, I do remember like, well, we were so happy when we turned 21 because that we didn't have to like put our names on the waiting list. So we could just like go right into the bar. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so great. That's, I love that you have memories there. I mean, I have so many, obviously, of wild Christmas parties and crazy drunk people off the street, taking their pants off, trying to relieve themselves on people mm-hmm. inside and 
I don't know. I'm here for that. You work, I've worked in some, yeah, yeah, you know, you work in the bar, you see some crazy stuff. Uh, for me, I think I've had my birthday there like like five years out of the six that I've lived here. It's a good spot for groups. Uh, yeah, I was about to say, yeah, it's, it's, it's set up really well for big groups. And the building is so kooky. You know, the, the anyone who's familiar with the inside of Bayou while we're talking Bayou, you know, where the bar is, where all the, you know, the actual bar itself. So uh, there's three doors in the bar with three separate rooms that we've expanded into over the years. But the bar at Bayou, that used to be just the bar. And there was a wall, you know, when you go right into the front door in the restaurant and take a right. Yeah. And there's the bar that used to be that it, there was no seating in there. There was no anything. It was just six, six chairs at a bar and that was it. And then, uh, so yeah. So if you look at next time you're looking at Bayou, you can see there's three doors. You can, you can tell, obviously it used to be three separate storefront businesses so like when when they first started it was like a i think it was like a clothing store and a barber shop and then the barber shop closed down and they ripped out the wall and then they expanded into that bar and then the clothing shop went out of business and then they ripped out the wall there and expanded into that bar so yeah you can that, next time you're in there check it out it's pretty interesting you can you can easily tell it wasn't always meant to be that big room so what what do you know about the impact of COVID-19 on some of the local music venues? Or what can you say about that? It's really, I mean, needless to say, tragic for, you know, I, I really feel for Craig and those guys at the Buffalo and Holly at the Shakedown. And, you know, and even the nightclubs that I don't go to or dance at or anymore, you know, it's just like, you know, this town needs those people. And they're just, they're going to be the last to come back. And it's, I know they're all working together with other uh, regional musicians and venue owners. Like Craig at the Buffalo was telling me he's on a board and he has like two Zoom meetings a week with like, Mike McCready from Pearl Jam and Sir Mix-a-Lot. Huh. <laughs> and they just they just talk about what they can do to... I think they're trying to lobby the government for a specific bailout, like f- specifically for venues and entertainment, because they're so clearly one of the hardest hit and the, one of the last that's going to come back. You know, I think they're, they're all really smart people in this town that run those venues. I mean, Holly used to be a banker. And, uh, you know, I think they're going to survive it, especially with the, the government subsidy I think they've already received that a lot of businesses have. So I know there are channels set up where you can help financially. Um, I, unfortunately, I'm, I wish I could plug them specifically right now. I don't have them. I don't know them. But I know there's there are ways to support financially. You know, the Buffalo specifically, I think, is working on reopening for outdoor cocktails. Yeah. And they're going to have like a food truck out there, you know, with the Holly Street Plaza right now. And then from there, I'm not sure what. And, and thank God the Shakedown finally reopened so I can get falafel. You know, they have a couple of tables out there. So they're able to so- serve some drinks. And, you know, at the very least, just tell people we're still here. This isn't like a ghost town yet. Well, yeah. And obviously, one quick thing about support. I mean, this, this I mean, everybody should know this. And actually, they should do it. I'm going places I never, ever went just because I want them to stay in business. Like, I'm always at Bayou. And whenever I want a drink that's not at Bayou in the neighborhood, I always go to the cabin, which is one of my favorite local businesses. Yes, we love the cabin too. What was I saying? Oh, so like I, the other day, I was like, I'm going to go to 542, which is that kind of ski lodge theme bar right across the street from Bayou because they just reopened into the plaza. It's like, you know, I never go there, not because I have anything personally against them. It's just not one of my favorite spots. But I was just like, I got to go there and try what, see what they're about because I want them to survive. I want everyone to, so mm-hmm. do that. Yes, that's definitely one of my missions. Is I every time I see a new place has opened, I try to go order a drink, order some food, and then just like tell people about it. Because sometimes people don't know that that new places have opened up. Word of mouth can get a lot done in this town. Absolutely. Our favorite part of the show every week is also the final part of our show, and it's called local treasures. And so in this part of the show, we do like a round table of sharing something we ate, drank, or otherwise consumed slash purchased or maybe you've listened to recently that fills us with local pride. So we were wondering if you had anything that you've had recently that really filled you with the Bellingham spirit. The Bellingham spirit. It's kind of a cheesy question, but 
No, I mean, I, I know what that is. It's, <laughs> it's just hard to put my thumb on it or put my finger on it. The Bellingham spirit specifically, what is that? It's it's the subdued excitement thing. I think people like tease, but there's some truth to it. Mm-hmm. Subdued excitement or like a pig on a leash or something. Pig on a leash. I haven't heard that one. What's that about? That's just like quirky, weird. Yeah, like walking your pig <laughs> on a leash across the street or like cross country skiing through the farmer's market when there's three inches of snow on the ground. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let me, I'll just share something that is making me very, very happy lately is uh, one of my favorite local businesses downtown is Old World Deli. Mm, yes. Uh, I love the business model there. I love the grocery part of it. I love the owners. I just love everything about that place. I go there probably at least once a week. My latest discovery that I can't keep away from is they're, they have this thing called a K-pop Reuben, which is kind of like a cousin of a Reuben. It's not exactly like traditional Reuben with everything but it's the the, the corned beef element is there the cheese and then they have some kind of other sauce instead of russian dressing it's like some sort of aioli or thing and then they just smother it with like spicy house made kimchi mm. that they ferment right there it doesn't sound like it would be that big of a deal or maybe even sounds gross but i've never had anything like it it's like the best sandwich i've ever had in my life you gotta have the k-pop reuben at old world i just i think about it all the time when i'm at home or at work or in my sleep i just like it's always on my mind and it's only on specials board so whenever uh, if you follow them on social media they're, they're very active uh, Anna the owner she's just constantly posting which is great and I see the specials board every morning and the k-pop's on there I'm going to old world it just makes me so happy oh that sounds like something I absolutely have to try because I'm a big fan of Rubens and I'm a big fan of kimchi so I can totally see that working really keep well your together. eye on their specials board yeah you you and then we'll, we'll follow up Annika what about you what's your what's your local treasure this week last week we went to the racket and sat outside and I got one of my faves the Laura Palmer the Laura F and Palmer the Laura F and Palmer like the Arnie Palmer but double that's right yes classic total classic that's drink has been I worked there I I was one of the bartenders when they first opened when it what well, they didn't have the racket yet it was just the shake down and uh from day one yeah the arnie palmer has been the one i've always been a fan of the quick mystic i'm not f- as familiar with that one That's, it's like absinthe and raspberry vodka raspberry syrup it's strong we'll just say that oh we have a drink kind of similar to that at bayou called the absinthe minded professor mm-hmm. my pick this week is the butifara from cafe roomba i was lucky enough to be there on a monday where you can get the two sandwiches for the price of one special i think that's one of bellingham's uh, best hole in the wall places for a great sandwich i just love those potatoes with the spicy ahi amarillo mayo on top mm, it's just I didn't, really delicious I didn't know that there i gotta do monday it's two for one yeah monday it's two for one. Oh wow bayou's always closed on monday so yeah head up, head up uh, to state street cafe roba and get yourself a giant sandwich good plugs yeah good plugs. <laughs> every episode josh we want to say thank you so much for coming and being on the show we had a really really great time talking to you yeah I, this is really fun i was i was looking forward to it it did disappoint i love i'm a i listen to podcasts constantly so um i've been on a guest on a couple of them and this has been one of the best oh. Woo! We also want to say thanks to Jeff Figley for doing our music. Thanks to Annika and me for doing the editing. Thanks all of our listeners out there. Remember to check us out on social media. We are most places at City of Subdued or some combination of those words. And with that, we are going to leave you all with a big stay healthy, Bellingham. A little more subdued, Maria. Please stay healthy. Stay healthy.